The birth of John the Baptist foretold. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by, the, by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were outside praying. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a great joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of, in the spirit and powers of Elijah to turn their hearts of the parents to their children and of the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, and you will not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he had kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you this morning. Uh, it's fun to note that in all churches, people are the same. And there's this massive gap right in front here, and then everyone's sitting as far back as they can, as if the leader or the preacher has got a bad BO problem. Uh, don't worry, you can stay where you are, but it's great to be able to see you all, and great to be with you this morning. Uh, as Rich said, um, Andy, your minister, is up the hill preaching for us. Our congregation up the hill have been so excited uh, for Andy to come and preach. Now, Andy, uh, a long time ago, was in fact our youth worker. And so there's quite a number of them who remember him uh, fondly for that. And they were very exciting to, uh, to have him come and preach uh, for us this morning. I'm sorry you stuck with me, uh, but that's just the way it is with a swap. Uh, so you've got me this morning, and it's a privilege to be with you. Now, 
It'll be a great encouragement to me if you opened your Bibles and made sure they were open. Uh, Some of you will have never met me and you have no idea what I'm like. I could be some weirdo that's teaching all kinds of weird things. And the only way that you can test that what I'm saying comes from the Bible is to have it open and to be able to look and see that what I have to say comes from there, not just something I've made up on the week. So with that in mind, let's pray and let's have a look at the Bible together. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your word, that it is life and breath to us, and that it leads us in the way of righteousness. And so we pray, Father, now that as we come to look at your word together, you would help me to explain it faithfully and clearly, and help each one of us to hear your word rightly, so that we might respond rightly to your word, to your praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, did you know... It is 34 days till Christmas. 34 days. The signs are all there, aren't they? Tinsel is in the shops. Christmas trees are up. The John Lewis and the Coca-Cola advert is out. We've seen it. Christmas is coming. Countdowns to special events are really useful, aren't they? They don't only uh, remind us of the impending event, uh, they build excitement, uh, they build anticipation. I know the boys and girls that are around you are going to be very excited about Christmas, knowing that it's only 34 days to go. Uh, But they also help us to get ready, to make sure that we've got everything. We've ordered our turkey, we've ordered um, all the things that we need for Christmas. When our kids were really small, they're not very small now, but when they were, uh, we used to have countdown worms. And if you know what they are, countdown worms. So we'd make a whole lot of little circles and we'd put them on the fridge, and the one right at the end would have a little face on it, and that'd be numbered. And then each day you'd take a worm, a, a, a segment off the fridge, and that would be the way to count down to a special event. And we'd do that for things like birthdays or uh, special holidays that we were looking forward to, or special events that were coming up, and uh, maybe even anniversaries. Uh, I certainly found that helpful. Uh, I haven't got a great memory, and my wife makes a lot of anniversaries, so it's very important that I remember and I'm able to prepare in time. Because obviously, if you forget, there can be all sorts of consequences that can be unfortunate. Today, We are thinking about a countdown, but not just to some big sporting event or a birthday or anniversary, but to the most important event in history, an event that God himself determined that people at the time, and indeed us today, would not miss, and would not miss the significance of either. And the stakes of missing out on this event are far greater than simply tantrums of children not getting a birthday present or finding yourself, gentlemen, having to sleep on the couch. But as we will see, the stakes are much higher, both positively and negatively. And so as we look at our passage this morning, we're going to see what God does to prepare us for this We're going to see what their event is that he's preparing us for and how you and I should respond to it. 
And so my first heading this morning, and hopefully it will turn up there, get ready for something amazing. Get ready for something amazing. Now, we need to understand a little bit of the context here, because just prior to this event that we read in Luke chapter 1, there had been no prophets in Israel for over 400 years. Can you imagine that? 400 years of God's silence. Nothing. And at the time, Israel is oppressed by a foreign nation. And you can imagine they must have felt pretty abandoned and forgotten by God. Silence. Oppressed. Where is God? And it's into this silence, into the state of oppression, that God intervenes. And he does it to grab his people's attention. And he says there in verse 13 and 14, have a look at it with me. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a light to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. See, what he does is he sends an angel to this old priest called Zach. And we learn that Zach and Liz are unable to have any children. In fact, they are now past the age of childbearing altogether. And out of the blue, Zach, while working in his day job, burning incense, an angel appears to him and tells him, he and his wife are going to have a child. And a child that is going to bring joy to all. Now I imagine this guy, Zach, and his wife have been praying for a child for many, many years. Perhaps they've even given up praying. It's too late after all. But God waited until he was an old man before he answered that prayer. Now, why is that, we may ask? Why did God wait so long? Well, I think the answer here is because God is deliberately sending a miracle child, an impossible birth, in order to capture everyone's attention. We should be sitting up, surprised. Now, of course, births to, inf uh, to infertile women have happened before in the Bible, haven't they? They've happened to the parents of Isaac, Jacob, Samson, and Samuel. And in each case, this new life out of a dead womb is a sign in the Bible that God is doing something new. God is intervening, doing something radical. And just like Isaac and Jacob and Samson's arrival, in each case, God ensures that these miracle children are predicted in advance. Now, most biographies uh, of great men and women are written after they have died. But you see, when God wants to underline when he is at work, when he is doing something new and fresh and dynamic in our world, 
he writes the biography up front, or at least the headlines, before they're even born. And God does it so that we can be in no doubt that he is doing something new, so that we are ready, so that we sit up and take notice of what is about to happen. And the particular pre-biography that the angel gives here is that this child will prepare people for someone even greater. Now when the queen or other royals visit, uh, there is normally a pre-visit that happens before their visit. A visit to make sure that everything is ready, that the security is in place, that people know how to respond to Her Majesty, that they don't put their hand out to shake her hand or give her a cuddle as she comes past, but they wait and only respond if she puts her hand out. And they don't talk to her and offer a conversation. They wait until she speaks to them. And you get all these kinds of instructions that go along that prepare you. And they work out how she's going to travel in and how she's going to be there. And all those things are set up long before she even turns up. Well, in a very similar way, God is doing something amazing. Doing everything that he can to get people ready for something fantastic. And so he sends a miracle child. Someone whose whole life and purpose is predicted in advance. And who himself is going to get people ready and prepare the way. But what exactly is that God is so keen that people don't miss? Well, the shocking answer is there in verse 16 and 17, and it's my second point. The Lord himself is coming. The Lord himself is coming. That's what the angel says. Have a look at verse 16 and 17. He will bring back many for, of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The reason after 400 years of silence God is intervening uh, with this miracle child is to get people ready because the Lord himself is coming. Now, to many of us here, I guess this isn't news. It's, a familiar, it's familiar territory. I guess most of us will have grown up with the idea of Christmas and of God becoming man. But we must be careful here not to miss the shock of the event. One person wrote an article trying to just express the significance of what we are talking about. And he told a story. Uh, he tells of a new angel who's taken on a tour of the whole universe and shown whirling galaxies and blazing suns. And finally they find themselves in our solar system and the senior angel points to a very small, insignificant little planet in a collection of planets as dull as a tennis ball. And that says the senior angel solemnly, 
That is the visited planet. And the new angel frowns and says, visited? By whom? You don't mean. Yes, says the senior angel, by the prince of glory himself. You see, what we are celebrating at Christmas time uh, is how our insignificant little planet was visited by God the Creator Himself. So you and I should not, dare not, be casual about Christmas. One writer expressed it well. He said, how can you put an earthquake into a test tube? Or the sea, imagine the oceans, into a little bottle. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human? That the fire has become flesh? That life itself has become life and walked in our midst? Christianity means either all that or nothing. In fact, the first two-thirds of the whole Bible is there to prepare us for that event. And the verse which closes the Old Testament is actually a warning about this event. I wonder if you ever thought that we needed a warning about Christmas. 400 years before Christ came, the prophet Malachi declared that the great and awesome day of the Lord is coming. But he warns, if you are not ready, it won't be a day of celebration and blessing. It'll be a day of destruction and curse. And so to make sure that you are ready, God will send you an Elijah prophet to prepare the way for you. That's Malachi 4, by the way. And the fulfillment of that promise is what we read about today in Luke chapter 1. Now, I guess in our society, Christmas is a bit schmaltzy and a bit uh, sentimental, isn't it? Uh, if there's any connection to God, it is normally a picture of a harmless little baby in a manger-type little box, uh, which is very convenient. We can coo over and then pack away until next Christmas. But do you see the reality here? God, the very creator of the entire universe, entered into our world, visited this planet. It's not something we should take lightly. And to make it clear as to how we should respond to this news, our verses for today end on a slightly darker note than we might be used to at Christmas. Because these verses challenge us with the question is, how will we believe? How will we believe? Verses 18 through 25. Let's look at Zach's response to the angel, verse 18. 
Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. So, you see, Zach has been around long enough, he's an old chap, uh, to know that this, isn't hap- this doesn't happen. Uh, what the angel is promising or predicting just is clearly impossible. He's an old chap, his wife is beyond years of childbearing. Surely he can't be expected to believe that. It's irresponsible, really. What proof can the angel give? What proof can the angel give? But notice, the angel is not impressed with Zechariah. Now, we know that in the Bible, angels are generally terrifying. I hope you know that. Sometimes we look at the angel on top of the tree or wherever, and we think, oh, it's all very nice and lovely. And we see our our little sprogs at their uh, nativity scene and all dressed as angels or a tree or whatever it might be. But the angels, you know, oh, they're so cute and lovely. But actually... All through the Bible, when angels appear, it's terrifying. And we know it's terrifying because what do they always say? Their opening line. Do not be afraid. Why? Because everyone is absolutely terrified. So now I can imagine, yeah, how Zach would have felt getting on the wrong side and seriously upsetting this angel. Have a look at verse 19 and 20. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. That's a little awkward, isn't it? And what is it that's got Zach into such trouble here? Well, we see it at the end of verse 20, don't we? Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time, appointed time. It was unbelief. You see, unbelief insults God. You may remember that the generation of Israel that Moses led out of slavery in Egypt, uh, they never got to enter the promised land. Their bodies were scattered across the desert. And what was their problem? Well, Hebrews chapter 3, you can read that for afternoon reading. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3 tells us that they were unable to enter the promised land because of unbelief. Unbelief. When we refuse to believe what God has called us to do, we're not simply calling him a liar, although we are doing that. But more than that, we are saying to God, we just don't believe you can do what you said you're going to do. It's interesting here, I wonder if you notice, that we are told the angel's name. At verse 19, it's Gabriel. Now, that's unusual in the Bible. They don't often give names to the angels. So you want to ask, well, why is that important? Why were we told here that it's Gabriel? Well, We need to figure out when we last heard about this angel Gabriel. And we've got to go all the way back to the 6th century before the Lord Jesus Christ when he appeared to the prophet Daniel. And he predicted to Daniel the coming Messiah. So imagine the situation. Here's Gabriel. He's done his job six centuries earlier to Daniel. 
He's hanging about, waiting, the clock's been ticking, waiting, waiting, hundreds of years go past, waiting, and finally he's told now to go and announce the impending arrival. And he returns and he announces the fulfillment of these events which he previously predicted. And what happens? Well, the person he told, old Zach, instead of rejoicing at the news, says, oh, I'm not sure I believe you. How can I be sure? Isn't that extraordinary? Now, the Bible is not saying that we need to turn off our critical faculties and just make some kind of blind leap in the dark. That's not what faith is. Uh, in fact, it's quite the opposite. The Bible is full of evidence of why you and I should and can believe what the angel announces here. So we build our faith on a firm foundation. It is, in fact, unbelief that in the face of all the evidence is the irrational response. And it's not wrong to ask questions either. Wanting clarification is fine. Mary does that only a chapter later. What is not fine is stubbornly demanding more signs, more evidence from God before we will start taking his word seriously. You see, when God has already given us all the evidence we need, if we would only just look at it. And what's the effect on Zach, on his unbelief here? Well, on one level, not much. We see at the end of verse 20 that, well, what the angel says is going to happen is still going to happen whether Zach believes it or not. So on one level, not much. Unbelief has no effect on whether God's plans will happen or not. But it has a huge effect on whether we benefit from his plans. Zach is told in verse 20 that he will be unable to speak. And it is a fitting discipline for Zachariah. Zach has been given the most wonderful news imaginable, both for his own family personally, bearing in mind that they uh, have been unable to have children, but also news that is good news for the whole world. And I take it he's given this, this information so that he would have the privilege of sharing that news with the whole world. But what does he say? Oh, no, I'm not too sure. And so he is silenced. Unable to praise and rejoice. When we've got good and exciting news that we want to share and we can't. You know that feeling? I'm sure you do. Sometimes where it's just not your place to tell that bit of exciting information, but you so desperately want to. And here Zach is given this amazing news, and because of his unbelief, he's silenced. He's unable to enjoy the delight and praise and rejoicing at this news that God's promise, promised all through the Old Testament, is now being fulfilled. See, often we make the mistake. We think that we call the shots with God. We listen to the arguments 
and we decide whether God is worth giving him our attention or some time or some energy. And poor old God, we think, stands in the dock nervously, waiting to hear our decision. Are we going to vote yes or no? But you see, the reality couldn't be further from the truth. There is no question that God's plan, his purposes, are going to happen. Nothing can stop it. It's like an express train going full pelt. You don't stand in front of it thinking you're going to stop it. So the question for you and me is will we foolishly do that? Will we stand in the way and suffer the consequences? Or will we get on board with God's plan and be carried off to his destination of light? You see, we're about to enter the season of Advent. And the whole point of Advent uh, is intended to serve as a reminder, as a time to prepare, to get ready, a time to consider the awesome events of Christmas. You see, please don't make the mistake of dismissing the idea of Advent as some kind of just high churchy thing, as something old school and for the super Anglicans or something. Um, don't be carried away either by the kind of uh, secular hype of Christmas. The whole point that we start so early on in Luke's Gospel with this birth of John the Baptist is to remind us, to prepare us, to, for us to get ready. Can I encourage you to use this time as we draw near to Christmas to reflect on what God has done that very first Christmas in sending his son and what he is doing in your life now, today, through his son. Take time to consider the evidence, reflect on God's purposes. It's all there for us to read. Use the time wisely. And if you are a believer, if you are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then rejoice. Rejoice in the awesome news of the gospel. That God the creator has loved us so much that he sent his son into this world to be our savior. And if you are not yet a believer, why not take this time to consider the evidence seriously? And make a right response to God. Let's bow our heads in a moment of quiet. And I'll allow you that time just to reflect on how you're going to respond to God's word before Rich comes to lead us through the end of the service.